Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. There's also physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and with that, if you have any questions that you would like to be answered about the Bible, uh, feel free to email your questions to info at grove.church. Um, obviously, we can't get to every single question um, in the podcast, so we do these bonus episodes um, where basically we take all of the questions and we dedicate an entire podcast to uh, answering them. It's a bonus episode, and Evan has a sweet sound that he wants to make. I can actually, if you want to say bonus episode, I'll count you down. You can do it. Okay, so do three, it. two, one. Bonus episode. Dude, that sounded awesome. Yeah. So we're totally mature with uh, the new sound effects on this board. Well, with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this week's Bible talk. So one of the things that we wanted to highlight was actually in Exodus chapter 32, we get to one of the more famous stories of Exodus and especially one of the more famous stories once you get past... Um, you know, the people of Israel come out of Egypt, the Red Sea is parted, God vanquishes the Egyptians, and most of, we talked about it before, most of the movies about Moses kind of, they end there, because you want to you end on a high note, you don't want to go through all the low notes. And so, what happens is, is God calls Moses, and he's giving to Moses the law. And so, we get the Ten Commandments, we get a lot of other portions of the law as well, and we'll continue to get into that. And in chapter 32, what we see is that Israel has grown impatient. At this point, Moses has been gone for a, for a decent period of time, enough to where you would start to wonder if something bad happened to him. And one of their first reactions is to essentially go back to the culture that they were in Egypt before. Instead of trusting God, they decide to make for themselves an idol. In this case, it's a, a golden calf, and they start worshiping that. And, and I think it's a, it's a really interesting and also important lesson for us to talk about is this idea that this people who had just seen the 10 plagues, and again, this isn't, you know, generations later. These these people who are alive right now saw God demonstrate his power over nature. Yeah, it, um, I believe actually in chapter 16, it says it was two months. It was like two months after they left Israel. It, yeah, it was not. Left, left Egypt that Moses went on this journey. Yeah, it was not a, it was not a long time. They see the 10 plagues, they see the Red Sea parted, they walk through it, they they see um, pillars of fire, pillars of smoke, and they see all these miraculous things. And I think it's such a an... manna from heaven. It's a, it's a really interesting portion of scripture because we get to see that even in the midst of God's miraculous power, even in the midst of all these things that are happening, the people of Israel do not fully trust God. And they go back to worshiping idols, they go back to their old ways, and in fact, Aaron, who's, you know... We don't talk about him as much, but he's one of the two leaders of the people at this point. Him and Moses have been together through this whole thing. Uh, Aaron's actually leading it. And so we see the people of Israel begin to distance themselves from God. And and really, when we go through the Old Testament, we're going to see a cycle of God does something miraculous. The people of Israel are saved. They forget about it a little while later, and then... There, you know, bad things happen, and then God does something miraculous again. This is not a one-time occurrence. This is kind of the beginning of what we'll see all through, you know, the rest of the Pentateuch, Joshua, Kings, Chronicles. We're going to see this over but and over again. That, stay tuned for the Book of Judges because that's where it gets even worse. That's yeah. Judges is <laughs> Judges is going to be a rough one. 
Uh, so with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into really wrapping up one of our favorite books, uh, the book of Romans. Yeah, Romans, obviously, um, quick recap, is a book, or excuse me, a letter written to the Church of Rome from the Apostle Paul. And really, as we're wrapping up Romans, um, this book is so rich of just theology and how to live our life. Um, we wanted to focus in on um, just two verses in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses one and two. Um, really, Paul answers the question of how do we live in light of the gospel? How do we live our lives now that Jesus has died for us, ascended to heaven, now the Holy Spirit is here? And Paul writes to the, the church of Rome in uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, one through two, and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I love how Paul is challenging the Romans because um, if you don't know, Rome was essentially the cultural hub of the world. And the the people in Rome obviously had probably a lot of things thrown their way. Um, I mean, we can we can sit back and just look at our our everyday life. Um I mean, you can hardly go into the grocery store without having some sort of just carnal image thrown at you. And not only that, but I mean, we also have so many people that we're following on Instagram or social media, whatever, telling us how to think. But Paul, in this chapter, he is challenging the Roman church that, you know, offer your bodies as living sacrifices because this is what Jesus did to you. I love how Eugene Peterson um, writes this this passage in uh, the message version of the Bible. And we're going to read it to us. It says this. So here's what I want you to do. God is helping you. So take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now, I want us all to catch this because I think it's so easy for us to fall into this. Do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That is so convicting for me because I know for myself, um, it is so easy to just let certain things slide. And maybe they're not big things, but we all know that when you start making little, um, I don't know, taking little shortcuts in your life that maybe habits develop. And, And I just love the way this is. He just encourages us, don't be so well adjusted to our culture that we fit in without even thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's an important reminder really just for all of us, is that, you know, our belief in Jesus, our Christianity defines who we are. And we can't let culture, uh, defi- we can't let culture define our faith. Yeah. The Bible defines our faith. Yeah. And then through that is how we define culture. Yeah. We can't read the Bible through the lens of our culture. We need to view our culture through the lens of our Bible. Yeah. I think that's an important thing as, as always to remember. 
Uh, moving on, we are starting uh, the book of John. And John is a really incredible gospel. It's one of the four gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's the last one. It's the last one in the Bible, and it's also the last one as far as being written. It's dated to about AD 90. And so that places it about uh, a little over 60 years after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. And Do you so, want to explain the AD? Because a lot of people know that AD stands for after death. Oh, sure. Yeah. So BC stands for before Christ, and then AD actually stands for Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of our Lord, which yes. is why at the end of Braveheart, he says, in the year of our Lord, 1318, <laughs> because I love that movie. Um, but yeah, so AD stands for, uh, that's what it stands for. Yeah. And so when he says AD 90, it's not... Um, you're not thinking, um, you know, after death, 90 years. It's actually 60 because how old was Jesus? He was around 30 when he passed away. Yeah, 33 well, is passed, what? I don't want to say passed away, but when he ascended into heaven, 33 yeah. is the typical. So when we say AD 90, it's not 90 years after his death. It's 60 years-ish after his death. Yep. And then John at this point is most likely uh, in his late 70s, early 80s. We're not told exactly how old he is in the Bible, but we know that he was – uh, most likely the youngest disciple. He was a very young man at that point. And so, and at, and at this point when he's writing the book, he's probably the last disciple uh, left alive. And so either, um, well, I shouldn't say either, all of the disciples at this point had died uh, for their faith. John had actually been uh, exiled for his faith. They tried to boil him alive, tradition tells us, and then that didn't work. And so... Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. So they, he's exiled to the island of Patmos, and it's here uh, that he writes um, really just some of the great works that he has, particularly the book of Revelation. Just imagine getting boiled alive, surviving, and then the – it was the Roman – the Roman culture did that to them, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, that didn't work, so we're just going to strand you on this island. Yeah, it's one of those um, – and I think it, to take a serious aside um, for a moment, I think it's a really important thing for us to remember, just as far as um, when we think about our faith, all of these disciples were willing to die. And for the most, most of them died horrible deaths mm-hmm. because they were so convinced that Jesus Christ was God. Yeah. Um, this isn't something where they made it up because people people will die for things that are false all the time, but it's very rare that people will die for things that they know are false. Um, and I, I can't imagine that all the disciples plus James, Jesus' brother are all, are all killed for their faith. Not a single one of them recant and all of them go really, even with Paul, bravely forward yeah. um, into their faith. And in fact, one of the um, my favorite stories is there's a disciple of John called Polycarp. Yep. Um, and he was one of the people that at, at this point is working with John. And he's actually taken to Rome and he is uh, basically fed to lions in front of the Colosseum. And they tell him, you know, we're, we won't do it. You will live if you just recant Jesus. And he says, you know, 80 something years have I served my Lord. How could I leave him now? And it's just this incredible testament to the faith that these people had. And, and I think it's an encouragement to us today for when, you know, all the time, in culture, we see people say things like, you know, well, the book of John never happened. It's written, you know, so long after, which it's really not written long after, especially in the context of ancient writings. Yeah, I mean, people are still recording history from World War II. So, yeah. You know. And John is, again, John's an eyewitness to all of this. Um, but it's just an encouragement for me. I think it should be an encouragement for all of you, uh, all of us, really, as we look into the life of Jesus in the Gospels. But 
Well, and getting back into the book of John, like we talked about, the book of John was written by the disciple John, the brother of James and the son of Zebedee. And so oftentimes we'll see James and John referred to as the sons of Zebedee, also the sons of thunder, sons son, of thunder. which is a great band name. Uh, so I don't think it's taken yet. That's like the best nickname ever. Oh, dude, it'd be awesome. <laughs> it's way better than uh, – It's like way better than the Legion of Boom. Like you're the sons of thunder. I probably just stepped on a lot of toes being I'm, in Seattle. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Now that I'm thinking about it, we need to really pitch that to the Seahawks. Yeah, sons of thunder sons would be awesome. Thunder. Okay. Uh, but moving forward, uh, they are part of – Jesus's inner circle. If you'll remember from our last Q&A episode, we actually talked about how Jesus had um, closer inner circles within groups of disciples. So the group of 12 was actually a closer circle than a group of 72 that we don't know too much about. And during pivotal moments in Jesus's life and ministry, what we see is that he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And so during the transfiguration, who's with him? Peter, James, and John in Gethsemane when uh, – I still can't say that word. Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane. <laughs> I said for everyone listening, say it quick like Worcestershire sauce. There you go. You just say it quick, no one knows. When Jesus is at the, the end of his life and he's praying in the garden, uh, who's with him? It's Peter, James, and John. John was incredibly close to Jesus. And in fact, he's often described as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, the gospel is written in Greek, and it's speaking to Jews living outside of Israel. The reason we say that is because the book assumes, as you're reading through it, that you have a certain knowledge of Jewish history and tradition. It doesn't take time to explain it very much, like you'll see in the book of Luke, where it's written clearly to Gentiles who don't have as much experience. But it's also not written to Jews living inside of Israel. It's not necessarily trying to convince the Jewish elite, like the Pharisees, to um, see Jesus as the king and the fulfillment of the law, like Matthew is. But really, it's written to those people who had left Israel. They're speaking Greek, but they're culturally and religiously still Jewish. John is trying to show them that Jesus is the disciple. And John is actually really unique among the Gospels. It's the only Gospel that is not what we call synoptic. So the three synoptic gospels, the reason we categorize them that way is because they deal with, for the most part, the same stories just through slightly different lenses. And so when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, for the most part, what we're going to see is the same miracles, maybe in a different order. And one book might have a couple extra, one book might might be missing a few, but for the most part, they're telling the same story just from different angles. John, on the other hand, is is a very different gospel, still telling the story of Jesus, and you'll still see some of the miracles mixed in there, but it's a lot more concerned, um, less about telling the story of miracles, but more about telling the actual words of Jesus. And what we see is over half the gospel takes place in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. So from the Last Supper onward is half of the book of John. And the rest of the book of John is kind of just setting up towards that moment. And one thing I wanted to read was uh, just to help us when we start the book and we really look at the context of everything, the last verse of the book of John actually helps us put everything into perspective. And so, John 21, 25, this is the last verse, it says this, now there are also many other things that Jesus did Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Which is also just a great ending line to any story, particularly about Jesus. I love that line so much. But what it tells us is this, is that every miracle that John records is put in there for a specific reason. 
It's telling us a story and it's showing us the progression of Jesus' ministry. Uh, John is not simply recording like the Big Banger miracles, but really he's recording um, a specific mm-hmm. set of things to tell us the story of who Jesus is. Yeah, and with that, just the audience he's um, writing it to, I think, because uh, it's the Greek-speaking Jews outside of Israel, um, this is just my own personal opinion, and I have no real reason to back this up versus anything I've ever read. But the fact that he does spend so much time talking about the last 24 hours of Jesus's uh, life um, before his crucifixion, I really think that does play into um, just a lot of persecution that was happening outside um, as as people dispersed. People were experiencing persecution. So it might, um, when he's re- writing this, it might just be an encouragement saying, hey, you're going through this, but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through it also. And so he wrote it as an encouragement. That's just my own hot take on it. But Yeah. And then also bear in mind that unlike the other Gospels, John is writing to a generation of people who most likely weren't alive yeah. uh, when Jesus was alive. Because remember, John at this point is an old man. He was a young man when all this was going on. And yeah. so most of the people who were adults at the time have already died. They've already passed away. And so John is very much concerned with showing people who Jesus is, that Jesus is God. And in fact, when we read chapter one, uh, the whole first chapter is outlining very clearly in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about how Jesus is not just a teacher, Jesus is not just a great rabbi, but Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. All right. And with that, we are going to be hopping into Psalms chapter 1 this week. Um, I love the book of Psalms. Um, And Psalms chapter 1, it's funny, I remember growing up in children's church, um, which is what we used to call it. Um, Now we have, you know, Grove Kids and everything. Um, We were real kids, with a Z at the end of it, <laughs> well, K-I-D-Z. So you, so you know it's legit. So you know it was legit. Um, and I was part of Joyful Noise, also with a Z, kids <laughs> with a Z, choir miss, growing up. I miss that decade. I know. <laughs> Where everything had a Z. The 90s, man. They were crazy. But um, I remember sitting in um, our our Sunday school class, and I memorized this as a third grader. And it's one of those things that, um, I mean, we talked about, I've hidden your word in your, my heart last week. This, it's funny because this is something when I saw that we had Psalms one, like I memorized this and I, and I oh, really? literally, um, it's, it's still stuck with me to today. And it's a constant reminder of, you know, living a life like we we're just talking with Paul, um, that's holy and acceptable to God. And it says this. Uh, it's only six verses, and and it says this: "Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, take or sit in the company of mockers." Verse two: "But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on it day and night." I want us to pause because when we hear the phrase "the law," when we hear the phrase uh, "the Ten Commandments," and and we've we've tried to stress a lot about like the law is good. But the person writing this, they're saying, man, it is a blessing to meditate on it. Mm-hmm. It's not just a bunch of rules and regulations. Um, the the early people, the early church, or I guess not, not really the early church, but the early um, Israelites, they were meditating on the law and they found delight in it. And I think it's uh, it reminds me of a passage I was reading in Romans, and this is just off the top of my head, so I don't remember exactly where it's at, but Paul talks about the law itself 
isn't bad. Yeah, the law, chapter seven. Chapter seven? Yeah. yeah, the law itself isn't what takes us down. It's the sin in our hearts mm-hmm. in response to the law. And he really does go through the point of saying that the law is a blessing that in our sinful hearts, we haven't been able to accept for what it's worth. Yeah. And so we say, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord? In verse three, it just kind of, I don't know, it puts an exclamation point on it. It says that person who delights in the law of the, the Lord and who meditates it, meditates on it day and night, says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither or in whatever they do prospers. What a promise. Like, hmm. like what just a, it's, it's not even really a promise. It's like, yo, if you guys pay attention to the law and you pay attention to the things that God has said to us, you will be like this tree. But what happens if you don't? Verse four answers that. Not with the wicked. They are like chaff that blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. But verse six says this, for the Lord watches over the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I love this. It is such a good reminder that as we are going through life, that there will be hard times. There will be moments where you feel like, man, I just don't really want to do this Christian thing anymore. But persevere, push through it, because when you do, you will become like a tree that is planted by a stream of water, which will yield fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither and whatever they do will prosper. Yeah. What a, what a blessing it is for God to show us really ways to live that will just lead, that, that will just give us life. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, growing up, I had great parents and I knew that, you know, no matter what I did, they were going to love me. They loved me unconditionally. But I also knew, um, and sometimes I, I knew because I learned the hard way, that uh, if I would, if I listened to what they said and I stayed within the parameters that they set for me, life was going to be happier. And I think it's kind of a similar thing with God. Like you know, we know that we're saved by faith. God loves us. God accepts us. Uh, when we put our trust in God, we're with yeah. Him. But also. When we follow along with the plan that God has, when we read his scripture, when we meditate on the ways he asks us to live, life is just going to be better. Yeah, it's true. And it's just a good reminder. Um, I know, I mean, even me and Evan, as we work in a church, there are definite moments in our life that if, honestly, it would, it feels like it would be easier to just do our own thing. Sure. But the reality is it's a constant reminder that it's not about what I want. It's about what God has called me to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if we do that, man, life is just so much better. Well, I can't think of uh, any better phrase to end the podcast on for this week. Uh, just a quick reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we are not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our resources, including other podcasts, at our website at grove.church. And I would also encourage you, if you've been enjoying this podcast, pass it along to friends, leave us a review. It really helps us out. It helps us get the podcast out there, but more importantly, it helps us get really just more people involved in reading the Bible together. Uh, We can't wait to talk to you guys next week.